You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. She's tickled the funny bones of over a quarter million happy people and is often called the queen of jest. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Patty Wooten. Patty Wooten, a registered nurse, is a leading national expert in the field of therapeutic humor. She is the author of the best-selling books Heart Humor and Healing and Compassionate Laughter, and her company company, Just for the Health of It, is dedicated to the promotion and development of therapeutic humor. Patty Wooten, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan, so much for inviting me. Describe how humor and the health movement started. We could go back as far as the Greeks and the Egyptians. The Greeks actually considered music and laughter and tears to be therapeutic. People would go up to the ancient temples at Delphi, and they would watch the the Greek tragedies and the comedies, and it was believed then if you cried enough and laughed enough, you could actually wash your body clean of the toxic emotions that were making you ill. And then throughout the Middle Ages, the court jesters were said to have had a healthy effect upon the uh, lives of the kings and the queens. And about the Middle Ages, we started talking about the village clown, the village fool as being healthy for the villages. And then in the early 1900s, psychology talked about how important it was to laugh. Even Freud talked about how it protected us from suffering if we were able to laugh. And then we kind of fast forward to about the mid-1960s when Norman Cousins used laughter to facilitate his own healing response from ankylosing spondylitis. Tell us his story. Norman was the editor for Saturday Review and very prestigious journal out of New York City. High-stress job, traveled a lot, became ill with ankylosing spondylitis. And his physicians gave him very little hope for recovery. They said, we'll control the pain, we'll control the inflammation, but there's not much we can do to make the disease go away. And Cousins had read the stress literature and was fairly convinced, as we all were at that time, that stress and toxic emotion have a a toxic effect upon the body. And he said, if that's true, perhaps the opposite is also true, that some emotions would have a tonic effect, a harmonizing effect upon the body. And he believed that laughter was his gateway into a myriad of positive emotions, that when he was laughing, he felt more hopeful, he felt joyful, he felt less lonely, he felt connected, generous, forgiving, all of those positive emotions. So he watched funny films three or four times a day, had people read to him from funny literature, and he literally would laugh his way back into emotional balance. What he found at that time in the late 1960s was that his sedimentation rate dropped five points after each laughter episode, which indicates inflammation is resolving. And he could sleep for two to three hours without any narcotic analgesia so he had less pain after the laughter. What is ankylosing spondylitis? That's an autoimmune disease that uh, where the body begins to attack the collagen in our body. And the collagen is present in most of our joints, lining our joints, present in the intervertebral discs. So when the disease attacks these areas, the joints freeze up and are very painful to move. The intervertebral discs dissolve and the spine becomes fused and immobile. And it's quite a painful process. What did the experts at the time say his prognosis was? Well, they said it would uh, would be a progressive, debilitating disease that would ultimately, you know, end in death. 
probably from pneumonia, his lack of ability to breathe deeply and keep his lungs clear. But they were very clear on it's autoimmune and we have nothing we can do to stop it. Did he make a full recovery? Apparently he did because it was not diagnosed. We know that ankylosing spondylitis can go into remission and come back again, kind of a wavy form. But when his went into remission, it didn't come back. And he lived another 15 years before he died of a heart attack. I don't know whether we can say cure, but we can certainly say permanent remission. What films did he watch? Well, he loved The Three Stooges. And, you know, that's an interesting thing about humor is that the humor has to match the person's preference for funniness. And men tend to like The Three Stooges more than women. So it's important when you're doing a humor intervention that you match what the person thinks is really funny to them. What led to your interest in this area? Well, my personal interest kind of, or my my career kind of evolved from a personal experience where I was going through some tough times in my own life. I was very depressed and had no humor, had no laughter, had no joy. I heard an ad about going to clown school. And I thought, well, that ought to be kind of a shock therapy to get me out of this stuck place. So I went off to clown school in San Diego for 15 weeks and studied with a Ringling Brothers clown school graduate. And after my graduation from clown school, I went into nursing homes to help share my joy with the residents who seemed fairly depressed and withdrawn. And they started laughing, and the nurses were amazed. And they said, well, could you teach us how to help our patients laugh? And that was 26 years ago, and I've been traveling the world ever since doing that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Patty Wooten discussing therapeutic humor. Patty, who makes the best clown? Well, obviously somebody who's funny, but then again, funniness depends on the viewer. I think a clown would need to be in touch with their playfulness, their foolishness, their silliness, that being able to get out of our adult space where we think we have to know everything and control everything. And clowns basically allow themselves to be surprised. They play with whatever is presented to them, and they touch the hearts of people very deeply. Summarize the most groundbreaking research in the area of humor and health. Wow, and there has been so much, and it's growing over the last, I would say, five or six years. Perhaps some of the most recent groundbreaking research would be from Dr. Michael Miller, Director of Preventative Cardiology at the University of Maryland Medical Center. And Dr. Miller decided to take a look at whether people's ability to laugh had anything to do with the incidence of coronary artery disease. So he studied 300 people. 150 people had documented coronary artery disease, bypass, MI, angina, but documented. The other 150 people had what we assume to be fairly healthy hearts, no incidences of coronary disease. He then asked them, how likely are you to laugh in your life? How often are you able to laugh in different situations? He also then administered a psychological tool that measures anxiety and hostility because we know the more anxiety and hostility, the more likely you are to get coronary artery disease. And what he found was that those people that scored in the top 25% of their ability to laugh, those people that laughed a lot in their life, were 40% less likely to get coronary artery disease. So that was quite exciting because we're seeing now that, you know, maybe laughter and humor and that ability to let go and just 
release is cardioprotective. And he's saying in some of his papers that he's writing that it may have an effect on the the endothelial layer of the coronary artery. What is the study of our thoughts and emotions effect on our physical health called? That area of research, which really has only been around for about 15, 20 years, is called psychoneuroimmunology. And Robert Adler was one of the first um, researchers to start taking a look at that mind-body connection and what happens when we have thoughts and emotions and how that triggers certain parts of our brain to release neurotransmitters and that these neurotransmitters have an effect all over the body, particularly on the receptor sites that line the surface of the immune cell membrane. How are doctors and nurses creating humor? I think that really depends upon the individual. For some of us, it's just a natural way we are in the world and when we're in our professional role, that humor just bubbles right up as we make that people-to-people connection. People that perhaps that's not as easy for, at least when I go to my physician's office, uh, she has some cartoons posted on the bulletin board in the waiting room and also in the exam room. So when I'm sitting there in my little paper gown that hardly covers anything, and waiting for, you know, 15, 20 minutes sometimes. You know, I can wander over to the bulletin board and get a little laugh, and it, and it helps kind of fill the time and break the monotony and, and lift my, my spirits. I know that nurses are using humor quite a bit in a much more formalized manner. There's a nurse down in Florida, Leslie Gibson, who has created, gosh, 20 years ago, a comedy cart, which looks like a crash cart that we would bring in for a cardiac arrest, But instead of all that emergency stuff, it has comedy stuff. Funny CDs, DVDs, and a TV to play them on. Funny books, toys, cartoon books, that sort of thing. And then I think a nurse, I certainly know for myself, I I try to use humor with my patients. I work per diem at a community hospital on a telemetry floor. Whenever I get somebody up for bed, out of bed, and they're tired and exhausted, I'll, I'll say little things like, well, it looks like the... Iron in your blood has turned to lead in your butt. <laughs> and it gets a little laugh, and, and it, it helps connect us. And it says to them, you know, I know you're tired, and it feels really heavy, but you know, we're in this together. Are there musical groups made up of medical professionals? Yes, there's several of them, and, and they're quite funny and, and actually fabulous singers, too. There's a group of physicians, a barbershop quartet from the Chicago area, and they call themselves the Cordiac Arrest. It's three family practice docs and a surgeon, and they sing funny songs about medicine, like, you know, Ben Casey, Where Have You Gone? And I, I just so many, I can't even think of them off the top of my head. And there's another group that's not performing currently, although they did probably about 15, 20 years ago. And they're a group of physicians out of the Indiana area, and they went to medical school in Indiana. And their barbershop quartet is called the Four Skins. <laughs> and their uh, their humor is fabulous also as they're singing. I mean, they've got one that's beginning to look a lot like syphilis, several others, yeah. What doctors have you collaborated with? Well, probably the one with the most name recognition is Dr. Patch Adams, who is a physician. The movie was made based on his life story. And he's a clown. And I got a letter from him probably 20 years ago said, you know, I'm a physician and I'm a clown on the East Coast and 
you're a nurse and you're a clown on the West Coast, we should get together and fool around. And uh, we've met up at several meetings and presented together and, and clowned a little bit together. So that's probably the most high-profile name recognition. The other one is Dr. William Fry, and he is a professor emeritus from Stanford Medical School, and he is in the Department of Psychiatry. And he actually began measuring the effects of laughter in the early 1960s, before Norman Cousins' work. He began looking at heart rate and blood pressure and respiratory patterns and that sort of stuff, and actually getting the first hardcore measures of what it means to the body when we experience laughter. Patty Wooten, thank you for joining us today. Very welcome, Susan. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm Susan Dole, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.